Hi everyone and welcome to the Perm Hour podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to have you all here again um, and I'm excited to introduce another new guest today. Um, really excited about this one, been planning this for a while. Um, uh, April Feet, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, James. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. Um, and April is um, a writer and author. Just had her first um, her first trade book come out, and we're going to talk a bit about that today. So, yeah, tell us just tell us a bit of a bit of your story and a bit about yourself, April. Well, I am a co-pastor. I've been serving in ministry with my husband for the last fourteen years, and we are living in the Panhandle of Nebraska in the United States. Um. I am a baker, a crocheter, and I've got backyard chickens. And I enjoy writing. I especially enjoy writing about the world around me and the way that intersects with our spiritual lives, because I truly believe that we are nourished um, as we spend time out in the created world and as we explore the little little joys and blessings of every day. Fantastic. Well, that's a that's a multifaceted life. I love it. There's so much creativity in that. Um, it's brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and this is, and you've just released your, your, you know, like I say, your first book for. Well, it's not your first book, is it? it but to, but it's your first kind of published book by uh, like a traditional publisher. Um, so tell us a bit about about that. Well, my book is called The Sacred Pulse, Holy Rhythms for Overwhelmed Souls, and it is published through Broadleaf Books, and they are a new imprint of 1517 Media. This book, the idea for this book came to me probably three years ago. I was feeling out of sorts in my own life, like I was maybe tripping along instead of dancing through my life, and I began to think intentionally about different areas of my life and ways that I had strayed from living those things in life-giving ways. Um, I had busied myself so much. I was not able to be present um, with my family or, or even with myself or with God. And so I began outlining this book and putting together a proposal to submit to publishers. But living a busy life, as I said, um, is just how I've been for many, many years. I kept putting the book proposal on the back burner and waiting to finish it. And then I received an inquiry from an acquisitions editor asking if I might have a book proposal that they can, would consider. And I told them, well, I'm working on one, but it's not finished. And she was so gracious. She said, take your time and get it finished. When it's done, I would love to read it. And so that motivated me to finish my proposal and to submit it. I never in my wildest dreams thought that they would accept it. I expected to be rejected time and again. That's the story that you hear so often. Um, And that was also part of why I hesitated. I don't handle rejection very well. And so I was afraid to put myself out there. Um, But when they when they accepted my proposal and gave me a contract, it was about two months before COVID-19 really began shutting down many aspects of life. 
And it turned out that the two sample chapters I had written and submitted needed to be heavily reworked. They no longer seem to fit the current world that we are living in. But the benefit of that, I think it made this book much better than it would have been. It forced me to really reevaluate my own life and consider um, what it does look like to live a wholehearted life of well-being and peace, even when the world is rapidly changing and we know we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. So I'm, I'm thrilled about this book. It was a gift to me to write um, during, during especially those early months of COVID lockdowns and um, guidelines. And I'm hoping that it will be a gift to others who are in the midst of this uncertain time wondering, how do I put my life back together in a meaningful way? Yeah, absolutely. It, it feels like a book that was almost, like almost kind of another kind of those things where the world around us kind of makes it more necessary. Um, the circumstances yeah. that we've been in for, you know, a couple of years now uh, mm -hmm. have made finding and discovering healthy rhythms of life even more important because we're a lot of us are at home a lot more and, you know, there, there will be a time we're able to go out like more often again. And, but when you've been used to being inside a lot, um, it's, you have to be more intentional about going out and, and yes. building those routines and building practices into your life that are healthy and you know and, and I you know I know this from experience you know I I remember the first time I I really went out properly after after a long time of lockdown and I was I was quite anxious like I was yes. like, I actually didn't want to go out even though it was like normally something that I would love to do I was like my body was like like tense and I was kind of like a bit anxious, a bit nervous, you know, and I got out there and it was great. It was fine, you know, and I enjoyed it, but it was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not used to this. Like I've got used to being indoors. I've got used to just, you know, not doing much. <laughs> um, uh, and that's really, you know, and ideally that's not how you live as, as a healthy human. You, you know, we go out and yes. into the world, even if it's to a lesser, lesser extent or a bigger extent, depending on who we are. But, yeah, yeah. So it feels like this is this is quite relevant. I I really relate um, to that. Yeah. Um, the the first time I went out as well after being at home and being so guarded and so isolated, it was like my mind and my body forgot how to engage that part of life. Um, I felt anxious. My breath quickened. I, I asked myself multiple times, should I be doing this? And, and it really gave me pause because as you said, we, we were made for connection with each other. And in the absence of that, um, that isolation, it has an effect on who we are, it has an effect on our well-being, our mental health. And, and so I'm hopeful that the sacred pulse will have some practical solutions. That's one thing I really don't like about books is when they point out problems, but they don't give us any, any practical solutions or things we can try. And so I tried to not only point out ways that we might um, lose those healthy rhythms, but also what it might look like for us to discover those rhythms again. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and we need that right now. We do. Um, what, what was, what was kind of your lived experience of, 
of putting these lessons into practice because I think there's there's uh, several steps, aren't there, that you go through, like twelve different uh, twelve different steps, I think, or twelve different uh, types of practice that you talk about in the book that that uh, that have helped you and that might help others. So, talk, tell us a bit about that and how, sure. and how you discover. Yeah, my my book is broken up. Oh, sorry about that. Um, my book is broken up into four different sections. But there are are 12 chapters and each one examines a different area of our life or how we might live into those healthy rhythms. And just as an example of how how I was learning this as I was writing it and then how it's continued to impact me, um, one of the the chapters is on mealtime and how we eat. And when I first got down to write this book, I thought it would be very simple and very superficial. The more you eat at home, the more you cook home-cooked meals instead of getting takeaway or, or those kinds of things, um, the, the more joy and love you'll have in your life and your heart. And then when COVID first started coming into the world, we no longer had the option of eating at restaurants. And I still discovered that there were times when I was eating my meals distracted. Um, I wasn't paying attention to my kids. I might have had anxieties from the workday or the state of the world in general in my mind. And I discovered that even if our meals are home cooked, even if we've set the table, even if we're seated with people that we love, we can still be distracted and cut off from ourselves. And so I had to dig deeply and I even had to ask, you know, what about when I eat meals by myself? Is there a holy and healthy way to eat when I'm by myself? Um, to be mindful and present to what I'm doing. And so that's one way that I, I'm still, it's much a work in progress, but I'm finding that I'm much more intentional um, when I set that space. I make sure I don't bring my phone to the table. I try to ask more questions of the people that I'm sitting with instead of just volunteering all my information, um, asking people how their day has gone, how they're feeling, um, what things they want to talk about. And it's been really life-giving. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you break it really down, you know, that even just little things like eating, how we eat, how we use that time it's a powerful thing i mean i i mean i i generally eat on my own because i i live i live generally on my own and so uh, you know normally i have you know and i'm and this is this has just been a practice for me for a long time that i've i have to have something to distract me when i'm when i'm eating i have to have mm -hmm. like something to read or you know something to uh watch or something otherwise i just can't i can't just sit and eat my food Yes. Um, and, you know, it's always kind of, it's interesting when you, like, pause and analyze those things. Like, wh why is that? Why do I want to get, why do I want to be distracted when I'm eating? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, especially as a comfort eater as well. Someone who, you know, who, um, you know, historically eats food to make myself feel better or to numb things or whatever. Like, why, why do I need, like, is it because if I actually don't have any distractions, I'll have to actually think about what I'm really feeling. You know, those kind of, those little things like, 
that's a really, really important aspect of life that we kind of don't pay attention to all the time. So, um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, another one in my in my book, I talk about shopping. And at first, as I sat down to outline this chapter, I assumed that it would be shop local and don't buy things online. You know, <laughs> very cut and dry, simple answer. Um, but when we could no longer go into stores, how do you shop in a just way that builds your community when your options are limited? And so I really began to dig in and ask, why do I shop online? Is it convenience only? Is it because it's not available to me locally? Is it because I'm impatient and it will get here faster? And I had to start asking myself those questions. So it's not necessarily that online shopping is the enemy, um, but it's that I'm not intentional about the way that I purchase things. I purchase things without thinking about it. I don't ask myself, do I really need that? And so that's been really helpful for me. Um, I live in, in a rural community. And there are certain items that are not available to me here. And sometimes I can get those, I can buy them on Amazon or I can do things like that. But I've also found there is delight in asking someone, is anyone going into the city sometime soon? Would you pick that up for me? And you can make those relationships in that way. And so I've tried to be more intentional to at least ask the people that I know or to ask myself, can I go without that? And that's been a, a powerfully reorienting way for me to live instead of just clicking buy it now. Yeah, that's powerful. And again, it's one of those small things that we don't think about much, but can actually be really important. And, and like you say, it's quite nuanced because some people, some people don't have a choice but to shop online because of disability, because of where they live or whatever. Um, and oh. you know, there's nothing wrong with with shopping online. In no, you that's know, right. Um, it's just. It's it, like you say, it's like, do I actually need that? Or do I need to shop online? Like, um, my, I have a thing with this, like with books, right? So I could get excited about a new book. Somebody will recommend a book to me. And I could just go on Amazon and just buy it or, or, or an online bookseller and just buy it. Yes. But it's like, it got to the point where I've got loads of books and I, haven't, <laughs> and I can't remember and some of them I haven't read yet, and I've got like, like what's the order of the book I'm going to read? I've got so many. So my sister would came, came came to me and said, like, just don't order a book for a while. Just <laughs> read a book, read read some of them, and don't order a book until you've read at least one or two of them. Like, uh, you know, and and I actually I actually followed that up, and it was like, oh yeah, you know, it's that kind of it was more of an impulse thing that I was doing. Like, oh, I have to have that because. If I have that book, then I'm part of the in crowd or something, or you know, then I've got some, or I've got some secret knowledge, whatever you know. It's <laughs> yes. just like a thing we do to belong or whatever, you know. And um, why do we do even the smallest things? Um, and there is some kind of gratification when you buy something new. There is that I don't know if it's dopamine or what it is that that lights up in our brains and we feel happy and we feel loved and embraced for a very fleeting amount of time. And so there is a, an impulse or an urge that we have 
to do those things. And sometimes that's okay. Um, I have had therapists say, you know, if you impulse buy a book once, there are worse things. Um, and so we need to give ourselves some grace as well. But it does us good to ask, what's lacking in my life that I'm that I'm wanting to do that? Or um, maybe I should read the 10 other books on my night table before I buy something else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's those small practices. Um, yeah, that makes it actually kind of all these little things that go into building up a life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and it's, it's so easy to lose track of them because there's so much going on and there's so much in our daily routines that that we kind of just go through without thinking um yeah yeah i mean what what's another one of these these things that you've discovered sure um well one of the things that i also discovered about myself was that i react very strongly when things are canceled off of my calendar, I can become anxious wondering how I'm going to reschedule that or where will that fit now. Um, and, and this became especially true um, during the initial COVID lockdowns and requirements. I suddenly had both of my kids home all of the time, schooling online. Um, meetings were moving virtually or getting canceled altogether. And there was that anxiety of how does the work all get done if I can't keep things structured and routine. And I began to ask myself if those unexpected moments of free time might be gifts, not something to um, become anxious about, but something to receive and embrace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because yeah, it's it's like things happen, and we yeah, we we kind of think, oh, this is a problem. This is you know, like everything's getting disrupted, and then like if you stand away and yeah, you pause and I discovered bit, um, and, yeah, yeah, I I discovered that many people were feeling that same anxiety, and the question we were asking as we were no longer allowed to gather in person was how can we move all of these meetings into a virtual format? But often we didn't stop and ask ourselves, do we need to have these meetings at this time at all? Maybe it's okay if for a short season, we put something to the wayside and receive that gift of space, that unexpected free time, so that when we come back together, we are restored and rejuvenated instead of frazzled. Um, I could see the weariness in many of my colleagues' eyes from all of the Zoom meetings. They were just so tired and depleted from spending all of that energy. And after a while, we began to let certain things go and say, you know, maybe we don't need to have vacation Bible school online. Maybe it's okay to take the summer off give people space with their families or space to do something new that they can't do all of the time. Yeah. 
so yeah like when yeah so when you get all these when you've had all these all these rituals and like patterns and meetings all scheduled and then suddenly everything has to change look because of like circumstances of the pandemic right everything had to get cancelled everything had to get changed everything had to get moved and then like and nothing was fixed for quite a while that that can throw things out can't it i mean that's 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 what you mean isn't it like it's it can be it can be disruptive yes yeah that's the perfect word for it it can be disruptive and our first instinct might be to try to replace all of those things to move every one of those meetings or those activities into a digital format so that we can try to keep some semblance of a routine. But eventually, I think many of us found that doing things online was exhausting or tiring in a way that we were not expecting. And we had to reckon with, perhaps maybe it's time to let some of those things go for a season, or maybe not to hold those meetings as frequently, or find ways to shorten our meeting times to allow people to be restored and rejuvenated. And, and, and then we have to receive that gift of unexpected time. Perhaps it's okay if our meetings are every other month instead of once a month. And on that evening, we would have had a meeting. Perhaps we do something that's restorative or refreshing. And, and it's not wrong to receive that gift. And so that's something that I have really learned and I've, I've struggled with. I'm very much a person who likes to schedule things and do things routinely. Um, but to learn to let go of those things has been very liberating. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes letting go um, is really, really important because uh, almost like you can you can make these these routines almost too important. Um, and learning to let some things go and create, I guess, more margin in your life. You know, more more space for you. Um, be willing to change things which have been been a certain way for quite a long time, uh, maybe for your own health or maybe just because of circumstances. That's that can be challenging, um, but it can also be be liberating, I guess. Yes. Um, and I mean, how has writing this book and exploring all of these different topics um, impacted you and your and your routines and rituals? That's a really great question. Um, as I was first writing this book, at the height of, of COVID, um, as things were really being shut down for the first time and we were feeling all of those losses for the first time, I really struggled to write this book. And I had to dig deeply and ask myself what was going on with that. And I unpacked quite a bit of that with a trained therapist to figure out why I was feeling the anxieties that I was feeling. But now, as we're now almost two years into this pandemic, I have found an incredible gift of joy in being able to set better boundaries for myself, 
to receive gifts like a 20 minute nap on the couch and not feel guilty that I wasn't doing something productive. I am finding myself um, being renewed in energy. It's not perfect. I have down days for sure. Um, I have weeks where I think that I'm starting all over again, having to learn these things all over again. But ultimately, I feel that I am moving towards wholeness and well-being, and I'm so very grateful. I think the process of digging in and, and writing this book, it gave me the space and the time to ask myself questions I had been avoiding for years. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. That's fantastic. I love, I love it when the creative process does something to us. That it, it, and that always, that always happens in my experience. When people engage in the creative process, it does something, something to us and to our, and to our ultimately to our lives. And that's, that's definitely what you're talking about. And just exploring this is kind of a kind of challenge to you to confront this in your own life. And that's, that's a gr- that's really great. Um, and I mean, I mean, what practices now do you, have you kind of brought into your life that you didn't have before that now almost kind of like you can't live without them? That's a great question. Um, one of the things that happened right it was actually before everything began shutting down. Um, I went and bought some backyard chickens. And one of the routines that I have developed over the last two years is that I go out twice a day. In the morning, I check to make sure they have the food and water they need for the day. And in the evening, I let them out into the yard. And just giving myself that daily, I have a daily appointment of spending time outside and engaging with the natural world has been so healing for me. And so that's something that, that I definitely take with me. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, And I suppose, and how has this kind of impacted your spiritual life and your, your relationship with, with God and, you know, and, and obviously the work that you do as well because of the nature of the work you do. How has, how has it kind of impacted that? Oh, well, I mean, it definitely has had an impact. I'm, I'm trying to even think of how to put it into words. I think if I were to summarize the impact this has had for me spiritually, it's that it has invited me to consider even the smallest of things as gifts and as meaningful. Um, those, those moments that I spend online are not meaningless scrolling. They can be meaningful depending on how I choose to engage them. It's invited me to ask God how the simplest, simplest of things might be something that I can um, use to glorify God. Um, even if it's in the smallest of ways, like watching my chickens, that doesn't seem like something that inherently glorifies God, but I believe that it does because I'm delighting in creation. I'm, I'm engaging in the process of, of creativity by watching them be what they are created to be. I am just 
I'm just filled with awe um, when I spend those moments. Um, one of my chapters is on creativity, on handcrafting. And it has helped me remember that when I sit down to crochet something, I'm not just wasting my time. I'm engaging in a creative process because God is a creative God and created me to be a creative person. And just that little mental shift, um, then you don't feel guilty for taking that time. It's instead something to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Just It's so fascinating that when one of the patterns that I seem to be noticing is that when we just pause for a moment, and are fully present in what we are doing um, or not doing or how we're behaving or how we're thinking or why we do certain things. When we're actually fully present in those moments, we can start to notice, almost notice who we are. And we can start to do work on ourselves, if that makes does that, does that make sense. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. We, Yeah, we can notice those things. We can be present to ourselves, present to the world around us, present for the voice of God. And in those moments, I think we can derive such appreciation and celebration for, for this world that we're living in and even for ourselves, um, that God created us uniquely to experience the world and engage the world in intentional ways. It really is. Um, I, I love this title, the sacred pulse. This was something that I, I came up with in conjunction with my publisher and I truly love it because that's really what it's about. It's listening for that, that heartbeat that gives us life that leads us to flourish yeah, that's right. The kind of animating energy of the universe, um, mm -hmm. which is underneath kind of all things, you know, and when you look for it, you find it. When you listen for it, you can hear it almost. Um, yeah. Um, and just the kind of, these kind of, these, I mean, these rhythms that you talk about, they're kind of, they're not just, they're not, they're not necessarily religious practices. They're just human practices like eating. Um, like, um, like shopping, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like this basic things that we do to help us survive. Um, cause we have to, we go shopping to buy food or we go shopping to, you know, um, to buy books to read that we want to read to educate us. Um, and just all these little things, which we do just to, just as part of being human, when we stop and pay attention, um, they can become they can become kind of sacred spaces where we get to know ourselves and, and connect with, connect with the divine. Yeah. I think that, that unfortunately our spirituality, we can live it in kind of a disembodied way that when I worship, I'm being spiritual or when I pray, I'm being spiritual. But how, how do we attune to the fact that we are spiritual beings when we're doing very human things I think that there is beauty in that, in, in redeeming that, that reality that everything we do matters. It's not just those 10 minutes that I carve out for Bible reading that matter. 
it's it's all of it. It's when I make my meals. It's when I spend time with my friends. It's when I grieve losses. It's when I take time to rest. Um, but then in that last chapter in my book, I talk about the church year and about the way that being intentional in the way that we engage in um, holidays, that matters as well. It can, it can be very formative. I'm one that I grew up from when I was really young, I grew up in a very traditional church. And then as I got older, um, we began attending a church that did not follow any of the church year, didn't celebrate Advent or any of those kinds of things. And I have found um, tremendous joy in returning to the church year and, and finding meaning in the rhythm of those holy days. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I always loved about um, Jesus communities was, was those kind of lit was old liturgies um, mm -hmm. and uh, old practices that, that have, that have a specific intention, um, you know, rather than just general things. Um, they always were the things that meant more to me. And yeah. because there was a specific intention behind it, and because a lot of it was about connection to the earth as well, and mm -hmm. uh, like sometimes using soil, you know, um, and putting your hands in soil and things like that, like there was, and that's just one of the things that I did. But it, yeah, those kind of things are really, really important because it's um, part of spirituality is about being connected to, to the world we live in, connected to the earth um, and um, the natural world. And so, yeah, absolutely, I, I agree. Um, so what is, what's the biggest message of, that you'd like to communicate to people through, through this book? I think the most important thing for people to take from this book is that their life can be a, a life of peace and joy and well-being. No matter what is going on in the world around us, we can discover meaning and joy in the smallest of things. And that doesn't take away the difficulty. Um, I had so many times as I wrote this book where I faced tremendous writer's block or um, anxieties or struggles because the world can be such a heavy place. But in the midst of that, there's this invitation for us to become whole, healthy, flourishing people. And so I hope that people will be encouraged to listen for that call in their lives, whatever that might look like. They may not be one that that crochets when the day is stressful or or get some chickens for the backyard, but there'll be something in your own life that invites you to wholeness and well-being. And I hope that this book encourages listening for that and following along with whatever brings life. Fantastic. It does sound amazing. And um, I'm excited for people to, to, to read this book and it's called The Sacred Pulse and uh, it's out now. Um, wherever books are sold um, and I would encourage you to buy that if you can 
Um, if <laughs> don't just, uh, <laughs> which is quite funny considering what I said earlier about buying books. But um, <laughs> but um, I would, yeah, but I would encourage you to read it if, if you have an opportunity. And um, yeah, this has been a really great conversation, and I'm, I'm really grateful to you for coming on, April. Um, so where where can people find you online? You can find me on, I'm most active on social media on Twitter, and that's at April Feet, F-I-E-T, or on my blog, which is aprilfeet.com. Um, you can find all kinds of good stuff from me there. There's an email newsletter you can sign up for if you go on to my website. Fantastic. Um, I highly recommend all of that. Uh, yes, definitely give April a follow on Twitter. She's she's fantastic. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, really encouraging, and you can see the intent behind what you tweet. So, um, you're definitely living out what you're talking about. So, yeah, um, thanks for coming on, April, and and thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>